Look with me if you would. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Isaiah 9, 15. The ancient and honorable is the head, and the, the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Chapter 8, verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, if they, not, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Y'all, we're, we're starting a series today, and it's going to be for several weeks on Sunday mornings on deception and truth, on deception versus the false, on lies versus the truth, biblical truth versus lies and deception, however you want to frame it in those different words. And God would have us to know, and, and I've just been reading through Isaiah, that's just where I'm at in my Bible reading right now. And I've been reading through Isaiah and I saw these scriptures. I've been planning on doing this series for a long time, but I just read those scriptures within the last several weeks and, I, and it, menaced, it spoke to my heart when he says that the people, my prophets prophesy lies and they that are lead the people, it says they, they're, they're bringing them to destruction. Okay, the leaders of this people, chapter nine, verse sixteen, cause them to err. The leaders of the people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. And I know that the Lord would have us to see, and we must know the seriousness and the absolute destruction, devastation, and damnation that results from spiritual deception and from lies, and from false doctrine. The absolute ruin that comes to men, listen, who give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Those things are real. And God would have us to know the seriousness of it. It's not a game. It's not a minor thing. It's not insignificant. I'm talking about spiritual deception, doctrinal error, this perpetrated, it's not merely, and listen to me, this is important because this goes contrary to the church world today. Someone that's preaching a spiritual uh, deception or lie or false doctrine and so forth, it's not merely a matter of personal preference within the church. It's not matter, uh, merely a matter of personal preference within the framework of all good Christian people. It's not. It's not a matter of whether they're just splitting y'all just splitting hairs. It's not that big a deal. It's not a matter of whether it's just little nuances of doctrine and so forth, but it's life and death. This is what God says about it. You and I are not the authors of eternal truth. God is. I'm not the author of eternal truth, and it's not for me to define it as I choose or to change it as I would choose. God is the author of eternal truth. Amen? He is. And His Word is forever settled in heaven. It doesn't change. It is what it is. And I'm not the author of it. I'm the beneficiary of it. I'm the follower of it. I am blessed by it. But I am not the author of it myself. It's not, it's not a matter, matter of personal preference. God has given us His Spirit of truth. It's one of the names of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. 
When he comes, Jesus said he will guide you into what? Into all truth. He won't speak of himself. He'll speak of me and glorify me. He'll take what I have said and bring it to your remembrance. He'll take, take the things of Christ and reveal them unto you and give you a under, spiritual understanding that you could not and would not have otherwise. God has given us the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of truth, and He has given us to lead us into all truth, and He's given us the Word of God, the Word of truth, sanctified. You can hear this scripture a lot over this series. You know, it's a wonderful one. one uh, John 17, 17. Jesus at the Last Supper with His disciples, praying to His Father in the presence of His disciples, says, Sanctify them, Father, by Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And so we have the Holy Spirit of truth and we have the Word of truth. And they're never contrary. I know I say this and I'll say it again and you've heard it before and know it, but the Holy Ghost will never lead you contrary to the Word of God. You can't say, well, God's Word says this, but I really feel led to do this. Well, whatever you're feeling led by is yourself or the enemy or something else because God never, never will lead us by the Spirit of truth contrary to the Word of God. But in a 100% agreement with the Word of God. That's how He's going to lead us and guide us. So if we're not sure about our feelings and is this the Lord, is this not the Lord, uh, we can go to His Word and be led by the Word of God. And the Holy Ghost will direct us. His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we are called... Uh, his word is forever settled in heaven. It is eternal truth. It's not uh, this truth that's, that's spoken of on the college campuses today, that it's, everything's relative. It's just a relative truth. What's true for you may not be true for the person sitting, sitting next to you. If they identify themselves as a female today, and that's true for them. If they identify themselves as a male tomorrow, in their minds it's true. That may be in their minds, but it doesn't change truth. It doesn't change reality. And His Word is eternally settled in heaven. And God, God has called us to stand in the truth. Amen. Just stand right there. And to fight for the truth. Amen? To stand in the truth and to fight for the truth. It's deadly serious. This whole matter of deception and error versus truth and so forth. It's deadly serious. It has eternal consequences. And I think that's what makes it so significant that's what separates you know we, we talk about contending for the faith and we're going to read that scripture in a moment or struggle for truth and so forth it's unlike any other struggle the consequences in that are, are eternal there's nothing else that compares to that so you know we saw a lot of those that watch sports saw a lot of football games yesterday and talk you know there's all these and I played football. It's always comments about there's a battle on the gridiron and these guys are going to war today and they're going to battle. and All these terms like it's life and death. And, and at that moment, it might seem that way for those on the field or the fans biting their fingernails. But it really, it's, when it's over, it's over. It's over and you're depressed about it for a day or so or you're excited about it for 15 minutes. And it has no eternal value in and of itself, or consequences. But this battle over truth, the truth, the eternal truth, versus the lies and the deceptions to get men away from the truth, or keep them away from the truth, it has eternal consequences. God knows this. 
And I'll tell you who else knows this. Our enemy knows this. Satan knows this. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? The foundations are everything that's in Christ Jesus, in the Word, the pillars of truth, the Word of God. If those foundations are eroded or attacked or riddled and knocked away, uh, then, then what are the righteous going to do? Where would we stand? In some kind of relativity of, of what's relative and moral in society today? What's right today? Uh, it, God knows the seriousness of it and Satan knows the significance and the seriousness of it. And guess what He wants us to know? The Lord wants us to know the seriousness of it. So we're going to take our time for the next several weeks. I don't know how long. And, and, and it's not going to be repetitive. We're going to go on with new material every time, but we're going to be talking about truth and error. The Lord wants us to know. Why does He want us to know? What's so important about avoiding deception and standing in the truth and so forth? He wants us to know for our own safety, for our own safety to be planted on the rock Jesus and to stay there and not some other rock that somebody told us was Jesus. Okay, And for us to be able to intelligently and humbly and lovingly and boldly warn others as well. It's going to be the one that knows the truth that can warn someone else. You understand what I'm saying? It's someone that sees the train coming that can say someone else that doesn't see it, get off the tracks. There's a train coming. And so there's several reasons. I want to say this, that the the series of, of sermons is not to gender fear. Just like we're studying Revelation, we're reading about some dark things in the, in the sense of the reign of Antichrist and taking a mark of the beast and being beheaded and all these things that are setting itself up to be worshipped and lying signs and wonders. And, but it's not for the purpose to gender fear in our lives. Neither is this series on deception and truth to gender fear in our lives. But it's, it's because God has not given us the spirit of fear but a power of love and a sound mind. I would say that it's sobering, but that's not fearful. Sobering is to be like, you know, we're to be sober and and understand what our adversary is up to. We're to be sober-minded, not carried away with uh, frivolous things, not carried away with things that are just, you know, floating through life like a, a, a butterfly floating through the air. We have a purpose and a call of God in our lives and we're to be sober-minded. Doesn't mean we're not joyful. Doesn't mean we're not happy. Doesn't mean we don't laugh. It means we understand the times in which we're living. We understand the call. We understand this world is not our home, but we're strangers and pilgrims passing through. We understand as every child of God that we are in hostile territory. Not because we're in some dangerous country uh, where Christianity is condemned or outlawed, but because we're in the God of this world's territory. The Bible says the whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. So we're sober-minded, but we're, we're not joyless. We're the most joyful people on the planet. But God wants us to understand and walk in the truth. The truth as it is in, the Bible says, in Christ Jesus. He wants us to walk in and know the truth. He wants us to dwell or abide or rest in the safety and the protection of the Almighty. That's going to be in the truth. It's not going to be in a lie. The safety and the rest and the peace, even in this life, is not going to be in a mixture of truth and error. 
It's not going to be in the false. Because God's not going to be in that. And we need the, the Lord. We need the peace of God, the Prince of Peace that passes this world's understanding. We, we are, this, this sermon and this lesson and this series is that we would fight for the truth and know the truth. You say, I'm just a little kid. You know, or I'm just, just got saved. What are you talking about fighting for the truth? Or I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a school teacher. Or I'm a this or I'm a that. And I'm not the pastor. I'll let him fight for the truth. Let him go do debates with other people. I'll just read this. You can write the, the citation down. Jude 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It's common in the sense it's for the same salvation for every believer. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. It does not evolve. Faith in Jesus Christ and truth does not evolve. It does not get its reality or strength from what's popular or society and things like that. Truth is the truth. And we, it was once delivered unto the saints. And he said, it was needful for me to write unto you, everybody that's saved, that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And so that, that word contend means to struggle for. And yes, we struggle not to believe. Sometimes we do, and God strengthens us that by His Word. He strengthens our faith. But struggling for the faith, to defend it, to proclaim it, to contend for it, even in our own lives. Satan wants to attack it in your own mind. That there comes a point you don't believe it because nobody else in the church that I grew up with even believes it anymore. We sing these old songs. Some of them are sort of oldish. But they're... And people today don't sing those songs anymore. You understand what I'm saying? But to me, in one sense, that's contending for the faith. Not for the song, but I'm not just going to go with what's where the church world is drifting to today. Or where they might drift to tomorrow. From the doctrine to the, the practice of worship to a practice of a, a life that's set apart unto Christ in our lifestyle and our behavior. It's not determined by the church world. Certainly not the lost world. But it's not even determined by the church world. It's determined by the spirit of truth, the truth, once delivered to the saints, the faith, the Holy Ghost, the Word of God. What say it? The Scriptures. That's what it's determined by. And that is going to look more and more old-fashioned. It already looks old-fashioned. There's no doubt about that. But it's going to look more and more old-fashioned in the church. That's what's amazing about it. Trying to live a holy life separated to God and believe these 66 chapters and books of the Bible and walk in that today in this society looks strange in the church in many churches today. And it's going to look more and more strange in the, wor- in the church world. But we're to earnestly contend for the faith. It's not just keeping my doctrine straight, although that, that's huge. It has to be. But it's keeping me straight in the Lord. I am my brother's keeper. Keeping you straight. And you're you're my keeper. And so, the whole purpose of this is not to gender fear, but that we would stand in the truth, fight for the truth, warn others of the truth, and and warn them of the deception, I'm sorry, and to, to steer them towards the truth always as it is in Christ Jesus. 
This deception, this false, this error, the false teachings brought about by false teachers and preachers. You, you just have to barely know your Bible at all to know that it's one of the most prominent, if not the main, characteristic of the end times in which we're living. It's not the only one, but just looking at your Bible, even not knowing it chapter and verse, what's it going to be like as we get nearer to the Lord's return? You and I are nearer today than the authors of this Bible. Okay? Nearer than the New Testament saints. We're at least 2,000 years nearer than they are. To the rapture and the tribulation, the second coming, all of it. But all that, when it starts happening, it's going to happen really fast. You understand the trap, the rapture, the tribulation. Before you know it, the Lord will be coming back seven years later, the second coming, and then there's a millennium that starts. It's, it's literally, think about this way: the millennial kingdom on this earth could start about seven years from now. The millennium, okay? The rapture, the tribulation, which is seven years, the second coming, and the millennium. So we are in the last days and we're in the last part of the last days and the last days spiritually and morally have characteristics to them. What's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? What does Jesus take the time and in the scriptures to tell us what it's going to be like? It's it's going to be a time of deception. And. Again, and we're going to read. We're going to read just a moment from Matthew 24. If you want to be turning there, Matthew chapter 24. The whole chapter deals with this. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're all going to read part of it. But there are those voices within the church world, and they're not the Lord's voice. I don't believe at all. I know they're not. They would say, "Why do you preachers, some of y'all, make such a big deal about doctrine? The emergent church ridicules." If you don't know what the emergent church is, it would probably be summed up in this. They ridicule sound doctrine. What makes you think you've got it all? This is one quote Christian to another Christian. And says, what makes you think you've got it all figured out? You've got all the doctrines correct. You know, why are you putting God in a box? That's a big one. You're putting God in a box. I don't put God in anything. He has displayed Himself, revealed Himself through His Word. That is the God that we know and continues to reveal Himself to me through His Word and personally to me in life and in creation and through the lives of other believers and so forth. But He's not going to be contrary to this Word. I didn't put Him in a box. I'm staying in a place of safety and I'm staying in the truth. And they're, you're ridiculing. There really is. And ridicule is not so much from the world. We expect that. You expect ridicule from the world. The ridicule is from a liberal, if you want to call it that, Christianity from a liberal quote Christian view that that does not hold to the Bible as being this all sufficient, inerrant, authoritative word of God. Twenty years ago or more, I remember Dave Hunt preaching in uh, a series on that, the inerrant, authoritative, uh, inspired word of God. Sermon after sermon on it. I loved it. I just loved it. I loved that. I have it on cassette tapes, okay, if anybody wants, wants to borrow it. Uh, probably more than 20 years ago. But anyway, it, there's a ridicule of people even calling you, you're the, you, you at Cornerstone, for example, you're the doctrine police. 
you know, you know the, the doctrine police to make sure everything is the way you think it should be and so forth. It has nothing to do with the way I think it should be. I do have a mind. I do have a will. It's been redeemed and sanctified. But my judge is not my mind or my will. My judge is the Word of God and the Spirit of truth to lead me into all truth. And so we understand this is a characteristic of our day. Matthew 24. His disciples ask Him three questions. Wasn't just one question. His disciples ask him three questions. He, he begins to answer. Let's just read this in, in verse 1. Jesus went up, out and departed from the temple and His disciples came to Him to show Him the buildings of the temple. So they're, they're like showing off. Almost like Jesus didn't know it. You know, Look at the temple, Lord. Look, at, look how it's built. This is amazing. Look at how these stones, how big it is and so forth. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? They're just things, okay? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So that was a prophecy that was fulfilled in 70 A.D. when Titus was the, the emperor of Rome and he was angry at the Jews and, and he was partly out of his mind and had this burned, the city burned and the stones of the temple, the temple was burned and the soldiers, it said, literally, history says this, broke the stones one from another because all the inlaid gold inside of the temple had melted from the heat and they were scraping the gold off the stones. They were literally prying stone from stone to get the gold. All right, that, that's fulfilled. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives. So this is called the Olivet Discourse. The disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, they asked him three questions. Tell us when these things shall be. And what shall be the sign of thy coming? It's another thing. And of the end of the world. That's another thing. And in one sense, you could end, you could, it was all future in this day. And in one sense, you could lump it all together as being end times events. But what Jesus begins to answer, let's read uh, through verse 5. Jesus answered and said unto them, first thing out of his mouth, his, this is his answer. I know you know it. Take heed that no man deceive you. We weren't even talking about deception. We're talking about the end of the world. We're talking about the sign of your coming. You're talking about the temple being destroyed. Jesus says, take heed that no man deceive you. Period. For many shall come. Not a few. Many shall come how? In my name. Not in the name of Allah. Many, there are those as well. But many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. They're going to deceive many. This is not to gender fear. We don't have to live in fear of being deceived. We need to live in fear of God and walk in His truth. Amen? But He's simply telling us what it's going to be like. So skip down to verse 11. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. What time frame is He talking about? The questions that they answered, asked. I'm sorry. The end times. The times before His return and the end of the world. What's it going to be like? He tells us many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive. There's that word again. Many. Verse 23. Then if a man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. We're talking about what to believe and what not to believe. Who to believe and who not to believe. 
What's it going to be like? They're going to be people saying, this is truth. Walk in it. And it's not the truth. Here is Christ and it's not Christ. Don't follow it. He's doing lines, signs, and wonders. It must be Christ. But it's not Christ. Okay? And we're going to, one of our sermons we're going to talk about, according to the Word of God, how do you and I determine, how do we identify a false prophet? Not my opinion. I don't like this guy. You know, he doesn't wear a button-down shirt and a tie. That has nothing to do with it. How do we identify a false prophet? There are clear scriptures. And we're going to look at some of those in one of the lessons until we, we know this is a false prophet and therefore he is preaching a false prophecy or teacher or teaching and so forth. But the, the spiritual error and the doctrinal error basically comes down to this. In other words, you could, you could basically frame it up in this way. What men say versus what's truth. What men say versus what God says. Now, if men are speaking the truth, it's, it's only because God has given them the truth and they're speaking what God already has ordained as being truth. All right. But it's either comes down to what man says is true or what actually is true. What man says or what God says. There has to be a standard. There has to be some place where all the confusion can be cleared up. You could have thousand people with a thousand different opinions on, on God and we come to the Word of God and the Holy Ghost can make it, here's the truth. Everything else is false. Everything that lies outside of this is false. There has to be a standard and there is clearly a standard. The truth as it is in Christ Jesus. He is the truth. Amen. And so it comes down to that. What, what do men say versus what God says? Even if the man says it sincerely, it's important. Even if somebody says it very sincerely, and and with maybe with a lot of enthusiasm, maybe with a tear in his eyes or her eyes, it still comes down to what a man says versus what God says. That's it. I say there's a million different opinions, but, but really there's truth and error. And that's it. So the million opinions all lie outside of truth. However you want to frame it up, whoever the messenger is, and then there's God Almighty and His Word and His truth that's forever settled in heaven. And so, uh, these false prophets are going to deceive people. They're going to deceive them by, by their words. Lo, there's Christ. He's in a desert place. No, no. And somebody else said, no, we found the Messiah. He's in our little chamber. We've got, he's hiding out in this temple in Tibet, you know, or whatever. We found him. This is the Christ. And it comes down to what men say. They're going to deceive through their words. And the f- most effective deceptions are mixtures of truth and error. Okay? This, we're not really getting that today. They're going to deceive by their actions. And the Bible says they'll, they'll even do lying great signs and wonders. But the signs and wonders are lying signs and wonders. And the signs and wonders that these prophets will do, they're false prophets. So they're, by, by definition, their, their signs and wonders will be false lying signs and wonders. And they will be to, and I'm putting quotations on this, to validate or authenticate the truth, what they say is the truth. In other words, to validate their, me- their message. 
I just want to read this. Uh, if you're taking notes, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10. It's speaking specifically of the Antichrist. But it says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So there was deceivableness and truth. These people didn't receive the truth. Therefore, they were deceived by the lying of Satan through this man, Antichrist, and his lying signs and wonders. And this is, this is the, the day, we're not living in day, the day of the Antichrist, certainly the spirit of Antichrist as it, is at work in the world right now. But uh, y'all, there's a, there's a very definite power behind spiritual deception. And I know you know it, but I want to say it. I'm going to state sometimes the obvious, the main things being the plain things, okay? There's a very definite power behind spiritual deception, behind uh, spiritual error and doctrinal error, and false doctrines and false prophecies and so forth. And it's not just, well, where did this come from? You know, where did this new teaching come from? It sounds kind of strange to me. I've been a Christian for 30 years, and... Uh, study my Bible and know it well. It sounds a little funny. I wonder where that came from. There's a very definite place it came from. There's no doubt, according to the Word of God, where it came from. There's a power behind the false prophets and their false prophecies. And there's a definite power, and it is Satan. And again, people could ridicule and laugh, but we have an enemy. We have an adversary, the devil. The Bible says, again, 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4, if you're taking notes. It'd be good to take notes and have these scriptures, if nothing else, to go back and, and sometime and look at these. But 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, I'll read it. Paul says to the church at Corinth where he brought the gospel in the first place, right? Paul was the evangelist to the Corinth and brought the word of God and some got saved and a church was established and church leaders was established. And he had to rebuke them for their carnality and their immaturity. But they were, came behind and no gifts and so forth. And, and they needed to judge things and judge problems in the church. Well, he says in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, but I fear. So Paul had a specific fear in, in the sense of a concern, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity doesn't mean simple like, like we think somebody simple almost as being stupid. Simplicity here means sing, singleness. It's not, it's not divided from the singleness that's in Christ. Okay? Now fear lest your mind should be corrupted. We think of corruption as being something to rotting. In this sense, I think it's like a perversion. Uh, from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he that cometh, so he's speaking about a man or a woman, a preacher, preacheth another Jesus whom you have not preached, we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. That was his fear. The fear is not that somebody comes preaching an error and a, and a deception. We already know that there are going to be people masquerading as Christians that preach error and deception. We know that. The fear for Paul was that I'm concerned y'all are going to give heed to him. I'm, going to cons I'm concerned you're going to believe him. 
I'm concerned that you're going to be persuaded maybe by their techniques, maybe by their person, maybe by their personality, maybe because you like them, maybe because whatever, but I'm concerned you're going to be corrupted. Corrupted. Because he's preaching another gospel, another Christ, in another spirit. And I'm concerned you might well bear with them and, and go with it. So the problem is not that people are false. It's always been false. The problem is not that there's false doctrines. There's always been false doctrines and lying. The problem is that people that know better or should know better give heed to it. Know better or should know better give heed to it. And when you give heed to a little bit, it's only said as a direction. And we move in directions. If I give heed and I step over, this is false. And I step over just as a believer. And I step over just a little bit. I'm moving in a direction. I'm moving towards that false and away from the truth. You might think it ever so slightly, but it is setting me up and preparing me for a little more a greater move and a greater move. Some people plunge right into it. Some people tiptoe into it. But we're, when we step into error, we're stepping in a direction away from the truth as it is in Christ. And so Paul was concerned when, when he said, uh, I'll just quote this scripture. Now, Satan, Genesis, we, it's wonderful to study the book of Genesis, okay? Now, Satan was more subtle than all of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You should not eat of the trees, uh, trees of all the, all the trees of the garden, the fruit of all the trees of the garden. And so he deceived her with his subtlety. The serpent was more subtle. Subtle means uh, it means crafty. It means trickery. Trickery. And Paul says, as Satan beguiled Eve. So it wasn't just a serpent. We know it was Satan. As Satan beguiled Eve. That word beguile means to seduce wholly, wholly in the sense of completely, to seduce completely. And he did. He seduced her completely in that moment into believing the false. And so that, that power behind it is, is our enemy. That power behind Satan. And the Bible says we're not to be ignorant of his devices. Now I tell you what, it would be out of balance if, if all we did morning, noon, and night for the history of our church and year after year and every service we got together in Sunday school class, if all we talked about was deception and error and Satan and demons deducing spirits, that would be out of balance. But it still it would also be out of balance if we never addressed it. We need to talk about it. We need to understand because there's safety in the truth. There's life in the truth. And there's safety for others that we warn. So the power behind deception is not just, I wonder where that came from. I know this guy. Where did that come from? Well, I'm not saying the person who spoke it is necessarily demon-possessed. But I am saying that the power behind the false in the name of Jesus, but it's not Jesus. In the name of the Bible, but it's not rightly divided word of truth. Okay? The power behind that is Satan. And there's no doubt about it. I'll just read this again. John 8, 44. Jesus said to the Pharisees who were accusing him of being a Beelzebub and everything else, he cast out Satan by the power of Satan and so forth. You are of your father the devil. 
Jesus said to them, And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Satan didn't abide in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. 1 John 2.22 who, who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Antichrist. Not the Antichrist, but that spirit of Antichrist. And you say, well, here's a false teacher, but he doesn't deny that Jesus is Christ. But, but really he is, because he's preaching another Jesus. Another means of salvation. Uh, those are false Christ and false doctrines. And Satan is the power behind it. This is not simply some nuts out there. You understand what I'm saying? We think that's just some whacked out wackos out there. I'm not going to listen to anything they say. Well, good. Okay? But it's not just some nuts out there. There's a spirit behind it. Now, I believe, like you do, that there are what you call a charlatan or a fake, you know, who can get a big crowd of people in the name of Jesus and maybe some you know, to get a big offering. And it's a joke to them. And it's a scam. I know that people, there are people like that. But I also know that the root of the deception, the root of the false and the error is Satan. It's not just a charlatan up there. they got those charlatans. But there are seducing spirits, the Bible says, Paul says, they're going to be prominent in these last days. Men will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We'll talk about that more on one of the other sermons. But it's not just some nuts out there. Uh, it's not also, y'all, well, it's just a Christian with a different opinion. Like, I, I've thought about this. I know you have as well. Christians are not every Christian on this planet. If you sat down with them long enough, true born-again people that love God and want to serve God, you will find some differences uh, again, somebody might think we just have to read the King James Bible and no other. I happen to believe it's the best, truest translation. That's why I use it. Okay? Not for any other reason to fight a fight. Okay? To, to pick a fight. Some people may think that uh, the children and adults should all worship together. And some people think they should be. There are differences like that all through that, that you could find. Some people think we need to stick with just the old hymns, that anything contemporary is in and of itself wicked. There are differences, but none of those would be fundamental in the sense of knowing Christ, walking with Christ, walking from Genesis to Revelation in His Word. Do you understand my point? So if somebody comes with a different doctrine, a seducing spirit, a doctrine of devil, something false, that's contrary to the Word of God and contrary to Christ and the character we know of Him. We know what He's like. I'm coming to know Him more and more. I do know what He's like. Okay? And I know Him. That, that that's, the Spirit behind that and the power behind that is the enemy of the Lord. It's not just some nut out there. And it's not just a matter of a Christian having... Well, everybody's got their own opinions within the church. We have to know that and understand it. Don't pick and fight. Don't pick fights for no reason with another believer to just come up with something to argue about. What if a woman thinks 
uh, and I don't agree with this. A woman thinks she shouldn't wear pants. She should just wear her, her long dress to the ground all the time. I personally don't see that in the Bible. I know where they get it. I know why I don't believe it's the way that they get it. But I would not pick a fight for that just for no reason. But if somebody says that we're in the millennium right now and that we have to Christianize the world and get it prepared, we have to, as believers, subdue the world so we can ask and then tell Jesus, we got it ready for you. You can come back now and reign. That's a false doctrine. Amen. We're going to talk about that because that changes everything on what God says about Israel, about the rapture, about the second coming, about the millennial reign, about Antichrist rise and fall. It, it changes what I should be doing in this hour and day in which I live. It changes a lot. It's not true. It's not true. Somebody, somebody might be a believer and think it's wrong to watch TV. They have a real conviction about it. They don't watch television. Everything out of Hollywood's corrupt. The commercials, and they're right. Okay? Um, but just to have a conviction, I, I, per, I'm not going to go to them and hammer them for that. That's my brother in the Lord. They have a conviction about it. If it helps them in their walk with God, then hallelujah. I'm not going to judge that. I'm not going to judge them for that. I might have a different conviction about that. Certainly there's things we shouldn't watch on TV. And we shouldn't watch too much, much TV. There's no doubt about that. That would be for every believer. But do you see my point? But false doctrines are not just a matter of opinions within the framework of truth. False doctrines are some perversions of the truth. That word perverted, you know what it means. It means a twisting. So that's the most effective weapon of all. You take the truth that is truth and is perfect and you twist it. You twist it still. Here's the truth. So it looks, it's got recognizable characteristics to it. A lot of the same lingo and words. And then you take that and you twist it. And it becomes false. And it's not like, well, I can get the... Have you ever heard of this? Well, I'll, I'll read this book. Don't read that book by that author. I'm telling you by that preacher. It's full of, it's deceptive. It's, it's, it's a false doctrine. Well, I, he says a lot of good things. I'll, I'll, I'll glean out the good from it and spit out the bad. Well, we're already setting ourselves up because we're told not to do that. Okay? Don't do that. Don't try to glean out the good and spit out the bad. What if you swallow some bad? You're already, to me, that's already a rebellion to do it. I, I couldn't, if I spent the rest of my life, y'all, I, I wouldn't have time to read all the good stuff. Why do I have to read something that's even questionable? You understand my point? I know that there are books, and I could spend, if I didn't ever read any book, and just kept reading my Bible over and over and studying it, I'm not going to miss out on anything. Oh, you got to read this book. Be careful. I had a Christian friend of mine said, you've got to read this book. It'll change your life. And I've been saved and I was teaching a Bible study where he, he attended. It changed my life. This book changed my life. Well, it was all about the emergent church. And this was 15 years ago, you know. And I'm, I'm wary when I hear that. If somebody says this is a great book, hallelujah. You know, read, this book changed my life and this one didn't. You understand what I'm saying? This book about the emergent church, people sitting in the bars and drinking beer and talking about spiritual things and, and dialoguing about Jesus and spiritual things, supposedly they're Christians, that changed his life. And not putting God in a box anymore changed his life. But this is not sufficient. 
God gave this to be sufficient. It is sufficient. I thank the Lord for Christian authors and books and, and wonderful other sermons. I've grown so much by reading them, but I'm going to read them to, and follow them to the extent that they're in the Word and rightly dividing that Word. And I don't, I'm not devoted to any of them in the sense that I'm fully devoted to this man. I love some of these old preachers that I preach and, and use their materials. But you understand the point of that. Okay, so there's a spirit behind it. And the, when you think about it, we're going to bring in the, bringing this to a close. The amount of Scripture dealing with this subject is really overwhelming. Old Testament, New, we started those two Scriptures in Isaiah, right? It's, it's all through the Bible. It's all through the Bible warning people about error, how to stay in the truth, how to identify the false prophets, the judgment that will come upon the false prophets, the judgment that will come upon the followers of the false prophets and those that are deceiving and being deceived, as the Bible says. It's overwhelming. It's all through the Bible. He wants us to know it. It's important to the Lord. And it's like there's a big vacuum and a big silence today about being warned about false. Because it's this time of ecumenism where everybody's just loving and don't be divisive, divisive and we just need to sing kumbaya and hang on each other's necks. And, and it's not. It's not what the Lord's called us to do and to be. He told us to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It's very singular. It's very definite. It's very clear. It's not muddy. Here's your standard. Here's your fight. Here's your truth. Here's your safety. Stay here. It's not your job to, to hug the Mormons and, and say we're all believing the same Jesus because we don't. It's my job to share the gospel with the Mormons and tell them there's a Savior and what you're preaching is another Jesus. Because the Jesus that I worship and the Jesus that's real and that sits on the throne was not the half-brother brother of Lucifer who came through a sexual relationship with Elohim and Mary and so forth. That's not the God of the Bible. The virgin birth is important because He's born without sin. Without that nature of Adam. You understand the point here. And we stand in that. And uh, that we, God wants, He warns us because He wants us to hold the truth. Hold to the truth and hold the truth. And, and I'll be closing with this. And, and the, the Father's plan for man, for mankind as a whole. He's not one that any perish, but all come to repentance. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All men to come to the not be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. Not some knowledge of some truth. Not truth as you perceive it, conceive it. But the knowledge of the truth. And this is his heart, and this is his will, and this is why he are jealous over his word and his testimony and guards over it and so forth. And that we would embrace that and not the lies and not the perversions and not another gospel, not half truths, not mixtures and blendings of truth. Uh, he wants men to be saved, eternally saved, forgiven, restored and reconciled unto God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ unto him. He so loved the world, he gave his son. And, and that salvation does not come through the false. It only comes through the truth. Not my interpretation of the truth, but the truth. And so uh, he, he guards over it. Okay, The Lord guards over his, the testimony of His Son. He really does. He guards over it. He raises up preachers and teachers and so forth. And He certainly has given the Holy Spirit to light the truth, to guard the truth, to separate the truth from the air. Okay? And I'm, I'm going to close with this thought, but 
he, he watches over it for the purpose that men may believe in the Son of the living God. That men may believe in Jesus and not another Christ, not receive another spirit, not receive another gospel, which cannot save any other blender, blending of the, of the two or mixture of the two or message or any Christ that's presented. And if he looks like the one similar to this one, but he's not this one, cannot say, but will surely damn. Because everything outside of Jesus is lost and damned. Right? They receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And so he guards over his word and th- there's no other Christ or Messiah that can save but this Christ. There's no other gospel that's the gospel of salvation but this gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of this Jesus Christ born in a manger in Bethlehem and fulfillment of the prophecies 2,000 years ago. You understand what I'm saying. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus told His disciples after He rose from the dead, you go into this world, all this world, and you preach this gospel. Not another gospel. You preach this gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believeth not will be damned. So he guards jealously over that truth and over his son, the testimony of his son. And the Holy Spirit exalts Jesus and brings him out of the mud and lifts him up where he should be. He brings him out of the chaos and confusion, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and sets him up where he should be. And every eye can turn to him and believe. Because everything else is lost and damned. No other... uh, Blood can wash away a man's sin but the blood of Jesus. No other name is above every other name. No other spirit can quicken but the Holy Spirit. No other word is the word of truth but the truth. No other word is forever settled in heaven. No other word but the word of the Lord's or spirit and life. No other God is Almighty God. None other. The Lord wants all men to know Him, to walk with Him and love Him and serve Him forever and ever. God's not the author of confusion. You're sitting in a church and hey, I know these people, but something's not right here. Okay? The music, the spirit, the testimony, the preaching, 99% true and 1% false. You're kind of like, you're halfway excited and halfway, oh, what was that? I've done that before. Amen, amen, oh, what was that? Done it many times. Spiritually, God gives us that discernment. God's not the author of confusion. Something's not right, then something's not right. Okay, the word of God is the judge of that. And I'm going to I'm going to close with this. I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to first John. First John, chapter five, verse nine. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is what greater witness means testimony or record. For this is the witness of God, which he had testified of his son. We don't have to worry about false Christ and false prophets and another spirit. I wonder if this is Jesus. God the Father has testified and the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth. In other words, God has testified of His Son. And He set Him out there before us in the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit is saying, yea and amen and yea and amen. And this is Him and this is Him this is Him. This is the true Jesus. That's not over there. From the Word of God. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he had testified of his son. He that believeth on the son of God hath this witness in himself. 
He that believeth not, God hath made him a liar, or made him out to be a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God had given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. This is why we fight for truth. This is why we earnestly contend for the faith. The life is in the Son. And if it's another Christ and not the Son, and people are following Him as though He is the Son, they're going to be damned. And it's important. And there's nothing more important. Because Jesus came to save sinners. And we have to believe in the truth. Amen. Paul, and I'm closing with this. D, you can come on up. Paul, when he was with his last missionary journey in Ephesus, he gathered the leaders of the churches together. He was going back to Jerusalem. He would be arrested. Then he would go from prison to prison and eventually be crucified in Rome. He knew it was going to be the last time he was with these church leaders. He had this third missionary trip. He knew these people. He loved them. He's the one that brought the gospel to them and fought with them and fought for them. And when he was, uh, it says he ceased not. He, remember, he says, for three years I ceased not to warn everyone day and night with tears. What was the warning? Because false prophets are going to come in. Wolves, how? Like wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing are going to come in. Even among your own selves. And try to devour the flock. Even maybe some of the people that were sitting there with Paul, possibly. But the point is, he, for three years, he warned them day and night, how with tears. So you think, well, these preachers get so caught up in doctrine and they're just putting God in a box and all these other things. They can say what they want, but according to the Word of God, it's everything to warn people. I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak, and then I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to myself as well. That we understand the times in which we live for our own safety and that God would use us as His, His people, salt and light in this hour in which we live to, to live in the truth and proclaim the truth to others. Amen? So y'all, I'm gonna, uh, the altars are open. If you want to come up here and pray and seek the Lord for just a few moments before we go. I know it's a little bit long, but uh, I wanted to lay a groundwork today. Source behind it is our enemy. It's not just a dear, precious brother with a different opinion. God, we, we thank You, Lord God, that You've given us the Spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost in us. That we, You said if, if we have Christ, that we have this witness in ourselves. Lord, help us to hold to the truth. Help us to hold to the testimony and record that You have given of Your Son, Jesus. Help us not to entertain or give heed to lies and half-truths. Help us certainly not to proclaim it. If we have, if we've given heed to it, forgive us. If we have proclaimed it ourselves, forgive us, God. We repent. We don't want to be party to that or part of that. We think that there's safety in Christ. There's safety in the Word of God. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. And Lord, we thank You that we can be there and we can, we can be in the truth. We don't have to live in fear of being deceived, but we're also not to be ignorant of our enemy's devices, how he seduces. And God, I pray, plead the blood of Jesus over us that you would protect us in our minds, our bodies, our spirits in every way, God, in this day in which we live, not just from physical injuries, 
But God, that you would protect us morally and spiritually and we would earnestly contend or struggle for the truth that was once delivered to the saints in Jesus' name.